is Building on the Solid Rock with Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel's Solid Rock. Let every family find faith in the Father's love. This is where it begins. This is our cry, this is our song, Jesus the way. We find our life in Him. guys understand this, I think. You know what it's like to love a child enough to guide them. And in some of the guiding process, during those formative years, those young years, you don't intercept their every decision so that they don't go through a consequence. There are times where you go, we need to, I've told them, I've told them, and now I've got to let this happen. I told you, I have told you, and then they do it and they experience the consequences. Or, or another is you lay out the rules. If you do this, then I'm going to take away this privilege or we're not going to go to this place. The storms of life can sometimes feel like hurricanes, maybe even a tsunami. Rest assured that God's love is guiding you through your storms. Those tempests build our faith and our character. God doesn't want to see you perish against life's obstacles. He's cheering you on in the face of adversity because of the strength gained from previous experiences. Today, Pastor Troy continues illustrating the nature of God through Jesus and the resurrection of Lazarus from the tomb. Now, here's Pastor Troy in John chapter 11 with part two of his message, A Funeral for a Happy Ending. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. Or the old King James, he surely stinketh. That's just like the best version ever. For he has been dead four days. So, we've got Jesus reveals his emotions. Now let's look at the people who are resigned emotionally. They've resigned themselves to this fate, this death. The people default to the same philosophy that many do in a time of loss. And that is, how could a God of love allow this? How could a God who loves allow this? If he loves him, man, look how he loves him. Well, if he loves him, couldn't he have prevented this? Doesn't he have that power? Parents, you guys understand this, I think. You know what it's like to love a child enough to guide them. And in some of the guiding process, during those formative years, those young years, you don't intercept their every decision so that they don't go through a consequence. There are times where you go, we need to, I've told them, I've told them, and now I've got to let this happen. I told you, I have told you. And then they do it and they experience the consequences. Or... Or another is you lay out the rules. If you do this, then I'm going to take away this privilege or we're not going to go to this place. And they do it. And then later on they beg, oh, please, I'm sorry, I beg. But you go through, if you love them, you have them go through the consequence. You can't 100% of the time not let them go through the consequences. 
So you allow them to experience that which should come upon them, the consequences of their decisions. See, if you don't let them experience the consequences of their choices and you micromanage them so that they never make any mistakes, thus avoiding consequences, you actually keep them from growing. You actually keep them from growing, you keep them from growing in their decision-making, and you keep them from being able to cope with challenges that life brings them. They're not able to. They don't know how to handle the adversity, the consequences, know how to make the right decision, how to get back up on their feet again and go, I will make it. I'll survive. I remember seven years ago when I didn't get to go to the place, I survived. They don't learn those things. They need to experience them and learn them. Consequences are good, and so the Lord lets the consequences of sin in this world play out. How many of you love sin? Now, I don't mean like, yeah, there's some sins I love. I don't mean that. Not the attractiveness of sin. But when we think about a child getting molested, or we think about certain harsh crimes against people, how many then go, man, I hate sin? That's what we're supposed to get from this. We're supposed to learn. Because see, this isn't going to happen again. There's not going to be another fall. There's not going to be another rebellion. This is it. All lessons learned through this. And so there are some harsh consequences in this world because of sin. When the consequences come and you don't rescue them or you don't let them go, you know what you'll hear sometimes? You don't love me. That's like the final card, right? right? You don't love me. And oh, for some, it's too hard to take. <laughs> okay, I can't take that. Look. You know you love them. That's not what this is about. Is it true when you don't let them go because you said, if you do this, we're not going to do this, and you bring about the consequences? Is it true you don't love them because you follow through with the consequences? No. In fact, there's nothing more loving you can do. Now, there's times for grace, but it shouldn't be your norm. In fact, to be honest with you, it hurts all the more knowing knowing that you could take away the consequence in that scenario, and yet you hold fast. It hurts because they're saying, you don't love me, and you're going, no, I could give in, but I am thinking about your future. I am thinking about what's best for you. You've got to learn, and it is hard. It's not the easiest thing you'll do. But you know what? What your children think of you at 5 years old and 10 years old and 15 years old for a few minutes or even a day is not near as important as what they're going to think of you when you've prepared them for life. And at 20, 30, 40, when key decisions are being made, they go, thank you, thank you, mom and dad, for disciplining me. You know, I've never, ever, almost never, Heard anyone say my parents were too strict, except for in those cases where it's just like, goodness, like Hitler, you know, <laughs> Hitler and a whip. But other than that, most of the time, almost every occasion is, my parents didn't discipline me. I wish my parents would have disciplined me. I wish my parents would have enforced things in the home. That's the case more than any. So I'm so undisciplined now because they didn't enforce things then. So... So they're thinking this could have been avoided. If he had intervened, this could have been avoided. Now, in verse 38, we see Jesus groaned in himself. Jesus groaned in himself, and he said, roll away the stone. The word groaned here 
is not an extension or in relation to his weeping. Like he's weeping and... That's not this. The word is... Let me see if I can get this one. Big one. Embrama omahi. One word, but I need to break it up in like four syllables. Embrama omahi. Here's what it means. It's a groan of indignation or frustration. Have you ever groaned like that? Uh, how many times am I going to, you know, that kind of grow? It's like that. So there's a frustration in the Lord who is sad, he's broken, he's hurting for them, and then he's, uh, roll away the stone. That's what's going on. Why? Why so frustrated? I mean, it's not like Lazarus is not going to be brought about, right? He knows all of this. So where are these emotions coming from? What is this feeling that Jesus is feeling? I'm going to tell you what it is. Jesus seems to be frustrated at the consequences of sin. It's like, "Mm, this is what it's done. And he's not happy. He's sad because he feels for the people. He's frustrated because this is is not the way it's designed. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And he groans within himself. You've been there too. Whenever you see a child abused or someone ends up in the ER room due to a senseless act of violence or someone loses a limb, you find out a friend loses a limb because of diabetes. And you go, I hate sin. I hate the corruption in this world. I can't wait till heaven. That's where Jesus is at. Well, here Jesus is looking at this whole funeral situation, the tears, the deep grief. It's like it's not supposed to be like this. It's not, guys. Sin brought death. Sin has caused this. And this is why Jesus emphasizes so often, pay attention, I have come that you may have life. Because death is everywhere. Death is overtaking. Death is destroying. Every single day our Lord experiences someone crying out because someone died. Every single day. Every few seconds. Death, death, death. That wasn't supposed to happen at all. But for him, it's every few seconds. Death. That's his perspective. Supposed to be life. And so Jesus talks about, I came that you may have life. It's been robbed from you. You see, we all hate death, don't we? But we're powerless to do anything about it. Can't do anything about it. As you get older, we start going, well, this is the new normal. These aches, these pains, this is the new normal. We give in. We resign ourselves because we're powerless to do anything about it. Death is the consequence of sin in the world. But look what Paul wrote to the Romans. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. At this time, the people resigned emotionally because of death. So when Jesus says, roll away the stone, Martha's resigned. She's like, surely he smells by now. You know, those fragrant spices that we tucked into the crevices of his funeral garments, those have faded. Now it's just kind of stench by now. You see, without Christ, it's hopeless. Just as hopeless as Martha was in that moment of finding anything but a stench there. We all have a hopeless future, death. May as well resign ourselves emotionally to it, right? But in Christ, 
everything changes. In Christ, death has lost its sting. Now, I make it a point to say in Christ and to make that distinction because I don't know if you're aware of this, but some think that all you have to do to go to heaven is die. You die, you go to heaven. Or others think that if you live a good moral life, you'll go to heaven. Not true. The truth is that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Pastor Troy will return soon with the second half of today's edition of Building on the Solid Rock, so stay with us. If you're enjoying the teachings of Pastor Troy Neely and would like more information about this program, we invite you to visit our website at buildingonthesolidrock.com. There you will also find an archive of previous messages from verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, and book-by-book studies through the Bible. We'd also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, as you'll be able to gain access to the latest teachings as soon as they're posted. That website again is buildingonthesolidrock.com. We're blessed to be a part of your life through the ministry of Building on the Solid Rock. We pray you're blessed as you continue to tune in. Now, back to Pastor Troy with more of today's message. There are no amount of good works that a person can do to earn their spot in heaven because the wages of sin is death. Everyone is under that condemnation. Everyone. And to prove it, we all have that in our future. Should God tarry and not call us soon before that happens. So, you can try to evade, elude, escape death. You know, we got all these different things we try to do to ourselves, the fountain of youth. Um, Sometimes we're dressing like we're 20 when we're well beyond it. And trust me, everyone knows. We try to escape death, elude it. But guess what? It will always find you. Tap you on the shoulder, just as surprised as you go. Oh, you were wearing almost 20 year old. I didn't expect you to be here. Now look at what Jesus says to this emotionally resigned woman, verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, said this, that you may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Now note that, loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him, let him go, because he couldn't say it for himself. You've got to get the picture, he's coming out. <laughs> to bury you in a tomb, what they would do is they would wrap every limb, and you were kind of like a mummy, and wrap your head, and then in the folds of the wrappings is where they would prepare the spices and put the spices in. And because the first day was about the only day you're visiting, they wanted the fragrant offerings, maybe a second day guests. But after that, they want to close it up, and then the fragrance goes away, and the stench takes over. And the reason that they would seal things up, seal the tomb up, was two things. One, to keep grave robbers out but also to keep animals out. You don't want them smelling the dead flesh coming in and and doing that. It's enough that they died. And so heavy 
stone that took multiple individuals to move, and it would go into, they would dig like a little trench or track, so the stone would lock into place, and it was there. And it would stay there for uh, about a year. Their tombs were normally built into like a cave, a wall, there's brick, and everything's stone out there, everything's rock out there. And so you would go into this little room, basically, and you go into this room about maybe 8 by 8, 9 by 10, something like that. And there would be a little area off to your right or to your left. And you'd go in. And then probably in front of you or maybe to the right and up, you would have little cutout spaces. So they could take an ossuary, which is where they would take the bones. After a year, they would gather the body, the bones. And then they would put everything into, over a year, letting everything do what we do now, you know, very quickly. An incinerator. They would gather everything, and it's already in cloth, so they would take it, put it in the ossuary, and boop, put you in your filing cabinet. And they would have enough room in there for family members for, for a long time. So when Jesus approaches, they're thinking, well, maybe he wants to go in and do one last visit, but by now he stinks, you know, everything's wore off, he's going to be degrading, and it's not going to be pretty. So that's where they're at. But let's talk about this. Lazarus is raised physically. Had a lot of emotions here. Jesus was emotional, showed his emotions. They were resigned emotionally. We're going to talk about Lazarus now being raised physically. Martha assumes that Jesus wants to take another look, but Jesus is about to be glorified. He said he was going to be glorified. In other words, what's going to happen is they're going to understand even more just how worthy of their trust and honor and how powerful he is, what he's able to do. They don't quite get it yet, but they're about to see it. So Jesus has this stone rolled away, and he shouts. Now get that. The word is shout. Not like he just kind of lifted his voice a couple of decibels. He shouts. Won't do that in here. I don't want to blow away our mic system. But he shouts, Lazarus, come forth. Real loud. So why does he shout? Because we know Jesus. And he could just say, Lazarus, come out. Oh, he didn't have to say anything. Watch. He doesn't have to do anything. So why does he shout? I think a couple of reasons. Remember, he understands the emotions of the individuals and where they're at. One, his tone matches the authority of the miracle. He wants them to see and understand his authority in this. I command this kind of authority. I have this kind of authority. Two, there were those who practiced magic, not the Jews, but there were others who practiced magic and tried to do certain things, and they were always doing, in lower tones, in mumbling tones, incantations. Incantations. Magic. Jesus doesn't want to be confused this with a spell. So he's very clear. The only words said are, Lazarus, come forth. Nothing else. No abracadabra, no, nothing else. Lazarus, come forth. It's a command, not an incantation. Three, to get everyone's attention. People are probably talking. They're not expecting this. You know what it's like trying to get everyone's attention. And so they're all talking. Lazarus! You know, all eyes are on. Let's see what's about to happen. Come forth. One pastor once said that he used Lazarus' name, called him by name, because if he didn't, every corpse in the area would have come forth. <laughs> so, Lazarus! So what Jesus did, it's very interesting. 
in this moment, he actually gave them a preview of coming attractions. On, I'd say, three accounts. One, he's preparing them for his own resurrection, which will take place very soon. Two, he's preparing us that we will be raised again. See, I'm powerful. I can do this. He lives. I told you. Three, I think this also gives us a good picture of what's going to take place at the rapture. See, it sounds a lot like what we read in 1 Thessalonians. Follow me here. Chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Hey, guys, we're all going to have this experience. I don't know if he's going to say every name at one time, but he's going to say, come forth, it's time. I'm looking forward to that. So Lazarus come forth, and though... They were more in awe than anything else as they stand there and they watch this whole thing. It's really kind of a comical sight. Maybe later they would laugh, you know, look back. Man, you came. That was funny. But the sad news is Lazarus is going to die again. He's going to die. His death comes to all of us. We'll take a look at the reactions of those who are observing later next time. For now, just consider the glorious future that we have in Christ. It's good news. A funeral with a happy ending. The truth is, all who die in Christ have a funeral that leads to a happy ending. Death has lost its sting. Christ has brought the offer of eternal life. And He offers it to any who would believe. All. Anyone. Just believe in Him. Let me read something that D.L. Moody said. He said this, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the Spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the Spirit will live forever. That's what we have to look forward to. Do you believe? Are you a believer this morning? While you're alive, if you're a believer, while you're alive, Christ has a plan for your life. That's why you're still here. Otherwise, take you home. Let's go be with Him. Start enjoying that. But while you are still here, you don't have to ask the question. He has a plan for your life. He gives to everyone Gifts and talents, experiences to use for His glory. And we need to invest them. We heard all kind of parables about what happened to those He gave and then they came back and He said, look, I gave you this, you did nothing. I'm going to take it from you and I'm going to give it to someone else. If you're not going to do anything with it, I'll get someone else to do something with it. So we want to use our gifts for His glory. So let's seek Him. In fact, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time and thank you so much, Lord, that our funerals, though there's sadness and there are tears that will be shed, those who know you have a happy ending. Lord, please help us to remember that always, to live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies you. 
That's all we have time for today on Building on the Solid Rock. Next time, Pastor Troy Needley will teach again in the book of John as he goes verse by verse and chapter by chapter through this gospel book. If this series has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to info at buildingonthesolidrock.com. We love to hear from our listeners about their experience with this ministry. Let us know if you have any questions about our radio program. In addition to hearing encouraging messages here on the radio, it's important to be involved in a local church. If you live in or are visiting the San Antonio area, come visit Calvary Chapel Solid Rock. You'll find service times on our church website. Just follow the link from buildingonthesolidrock.com. If you're unable to be there in person, join us online. Again, our website is buildingonthesolidrock.com. That's all for today. Be sure to tune in again for more from the Gospel of John on Building on the Solid Rock. Let the light of Christ shine as we grow in Him. Come have your way in us. Come